0: frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown american drink go to grown american superfood.com forward slash john and order today
1: what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
0: This is the John Fuglesang Podcast. Happy Labor Day. Uh, I'm John Fugelsang here to remind you if the federal minimum wage had increased at the rate of worker productivity since 1960, then our federal minimum wage today would be $25 an hour. But it's not. And more than that, this right now, what we're living in is the longest period in the history of the minimum wage that workers haven't gotten a raise. And in case you didn't hear the headlines, The oligarchs who own our country are sitting on record profits. So let's bring in the great Harvey Kay, who made a career at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, where he taught American history, politics, and society, served as the director of that university's Center for History and Social Change. He's an author and editor of numerous works, 16 books, including The American Radical, Are We Good Citizens?, Thomas Paine and the Promise of America, and, boy, buy this as a gift for everybody, The Fight for the Four Freedoms, What Made FDR and The Greatest Generation Truly Great?, as Norman Lear said, no one has ever loved America or spanked it harder than Harvey Kaye. Professor, welcome back.
2: Thank you. It is, now, I can see you, but I know everyone else can but it is great to see you. I, people may not realize we, we have actually been friends for some time, and, and it's been a few months, and I'm, I'm ready to go to work anytime you need me.
0: Well, thank you. I had the great honor of, uh, of performing for some of your students once a few years back. That's was, right. I, 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 did a, it, I did a lecture about the history of comedy and politics to uh, your university. Right.
2: It was one of the favorite events that I organized in the course of 30 years. And if any professors are listening,
0: bring John to your <laughs> campus. I've done it at a couple of schools. Thank you. I I like to go to hallowed halls of academia and drag the whole thing down to my level. Um, It's great to see you. Happy Labor Day. What does this day mean to you where we are now in America, one fifth of the way through the 21st century?
2: Well, to quote a famous figure of the past, these are the best of times, the worst of times, or is it the other way? These are the worst of times, the best of times. And you can imagine why. I mean, as you noted OK, the working poor have not seen a pay increase in decades or at least in years and years and years, while the rich have gotten. I mean, I used to say grossly richer. Is there a bigger word than grossly richer that I could use to describe? Grotesque is good for wealthy? me. I think grotesquely,
0: if you're going for adjective uh, adverbs, grotesquely is very, very good. Yeah, gro- fantastic. grotesquely. Abominably absolutely. is a good ad- adverb as well for that. But yeah
2: yeah yeah you're gonna have to give me a course in vocabulary but that's great (laughs) absolutely no no it really i mean these are but on the at the same time this is a moment i mean it's, it's strange to say as as bad as these times are this is really as i said the best of times because we have seen during these past more than 12 months so most people have been noticing this during the past months a real sort of worker resurgence a resurgence not only in terms of people leaving their jobs in search of something better or just literally leaving because their jobs are so awful we've seen significant efforts across the country north south and out west to organize to to once again rev to revive to renew to expand the labor movement now in their minds that's not their task in their minds is we deserve dignity, we deserve respect, we deserve a better experience on the job, our wages should go up, we should get some benefits. I mean, you can imagine all the, all the reasons. But I do wanna say, everyone reduces the question of labor unionism to the dollar question. And that, that's a fundamental. But I once, I once I had a friend who passed away several years ago, an older friend, who, who was from England, and he grew up in Liverpool and he grew up in a working class neighborhood. And one day he said to me, and and by the way, when he came to the United States, he became a conservative, but one day we're sitting, he was then the vice chancellor and I was a professor. And he said to me, you know, I do want you to understand that I do appreciate labor unions, but maybe not in the way most Americans do. And that is, it's a matter of dignity and respect first and foremost. And when workers come together and are organized in solidarity, they gain each other's respect and the respect yeah. of the people they're confronting. But that's not to take away from the imperative of raising wages. I just thought on Labor Day, we should not forget that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's so embarrassing to think it's gone this long and that it's this acceptable and that we've all just sort of, I mean, what is it, almost eight years after Barack Obama came up with the greatest slogan, give America a raise, and we're still debating the merits of it while we see the oligarchs sitting on their record profits. I mean, we see how much money these guys made off of a plague, and we still can't jack up the wages of people we call essential workers.
2: Yeah, you'll recall a, a, a few months ago I came on with Alan Minsky on to tell me everything. Of course, and we were we were proposing, you know, in a number of venues, the idea that American working people deserve an economic bill of rights—not just working people, all Americans deserve an economic bill of rights. And first and foremost, you might say, on that list was the right to a job with a living wage. And here we are debating what are we, how we're going to get the right.
0: minimum wage increase. That's right. Exactly. A living wage, which is, I'm sorry, the expression I'm trying to use more often. Uh, So let me ask you about where we're at right now legislatively. Obviously, there's a lot of grassroots union organizing happening from the bottom up. No politicians are leading the revolutions we're seeing at Amazon and Starbucks. But let's talk about what the politicians have been able to do. At least, you know, uh, it's been almost two years since Joe Biden got the nomination. We saw Angela Davis and Noam Chomsky and Bernie Sanders all come together and say Joe Biden's the guy. And since then, um, they've got more to run on than most Democrats do in their first two years of office. There's there's obviously the infrastructure bill, uh, an incredible three point whatever trillion dollar framework, uh, the historic job growth, the lowest unemployment in 50 years. And the CHIPS Act, which I haven't heard enough talk about, is kind of huge for electronic manufacturing in the U.S. We talk about it as a tech bill more than we talk about it as a jobs bill. Let me ask you, Professor, what do you think of uh, what this administration and this Democratic Party has achieved so far?
2: You know, again, I I think you'll, you'll know that I've got a critical edge on this, Okay, You have to. Undeniably, undeniably. Joe Biden was a, a truly a breath of fresh air when it came to the question of labor. I mean, he came in and he replaces the the, the chief you know, attorney at the NLRB. He came out publicly and declared, which was the truth, that workers have a right to organize. And he was talking especially about the Bessemer uh, Amazon warehouse where workers were desperately trying to get themselves a union. The vote took place and it seemed to fail. But in fact, it's, it's still under under protest because of some shenanigans Amazon may well have pulled there. Um, and there's no doubt. I mean, he's shown decided rhetorical support. But let me, let me just say on the downside, and this is this is the, the, the bad side, is the fact that it, the Inflation Reduction Act left out. They actually removed from the Inflation Reduction Act the additional dollars needed for the National Labor Relations Board to effectively back or effectively monitor workers organizing efforts in other words in fact for what it's worth if anyone's interested this is the column uh this week by katrina vanden Heuvel at the washington post she says you know this is un- unbelievable here we have a president who has been rhetorically committed and carried out a certain number of, of of actions to make it appear like he's he is unions guy you know union joe as he as he once uh, once said but the point is that The the efforts across the country, Amazon, Starbucks, and those are only the sort of the most talked about because, you know, they're retail operations. But across the board, you know, union organizing official petitions to the NLRB are up, I think, nearly 60 percent. I mean, there is no doubt that we are seeing a, a, a surge in workers' desire to be organized. However... This Inflation Reduction Act came through, and I won't go into all the other problems with it. I mean, the point is it's the start of something big. Right, B, Cause,
0: cause, because when you say they took it out, I'm curious who you mean by they. Would this be a Senator Manchin sort of they taking it out? That's well, what I'm wondering about, de- but go on. it's
2: probably deference. It's probably deference to a few of the Democrats. Schumer took it out. I mean, Schumer is the majority leader. It, okay, it sure, his, fair point. OK. And, you know, I mean, and we can get off on Schumer and I don't want to do that right. Right. Now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the case that everyone for weeks, if not months, have said we need more dollars in the NLRB. Let me tell you, this is a really important point. When FDR signed into law, the National Labor Relations Act in 1935, having already tried to assure workers right to organize in 1933, but companies found their way around it. And real class war broke out for a few years when he signed it. It was with the idea that there would be industrial democracy and we could move beyond brutal, violent class war. Okay. But to do that, that everyone realized in the administration and the Congress, they were enacting this because the only way workers could truly secure those kinds of rights that, that were being, you know, promised in the NLRA was if they had the federal government behind them, not in the middle, not to mediate or to arbitrate, but literally to guarantee workers the right to organize. And if the NLRB, which has basically been forgotten for years because it's been so ineffective and when run by Republicans, so truly atrocious, grotesque, if you don't mind, um, it is the case that everyone has said we need more money in the NLRB. And as long as the money is not forthcoming, companies like Starbucks and others are going to get away with shutting stores in order to block union efforts or fire. They regularly fire a worker if they they always, you know, they always have labor spies. And basically, if they find out one or more workers is organizing, they fire them.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's it. But you know, you're someone who said, if we do not revitalize the American labor movement, we can write off the future of the left. I I agree. But how do we do that when obviously the deck is so stacked, and we're still not going to see leadership from Washington, we'll see slogans, we'll say good cheerleading, we'll see, you know, oh, gosh, we sure are rooting for you guys down there. But we're not going to see any leadership come from our leaders on labor. We never have.
2: Okay. now it is undeniably the case that labor and let me now get critical of labor, please undeniably workers want to be organized. The AFL-CIO is not responding effectively, aggressively in real solidarity. They are not literally mobilizing to back these kinds of efforts. And let me go also back into history to show you the parallel, which is so disappointing. So back in 1933, when FDR signed the first National Industrial Recovery Act, it actually provided for the first ever federal minimum wage and also for the right of workers to organize and bargain collectively. Union union leaders called it the Magna Carta of labor. Well, it turned out companies were not going to accept it. And they found ways they found ways around it. And so, you know, but even worse, The AFL unions, then there was no CIO. The American Federation of Labor Unions were trades unions that, you know, plumbers, carpenters, cabinet makers, like, you know, electricians, trades. Those folks did not trust industrial workers. They thought they looked down on them. Why? Well, first, it was a question of ethnicity and race. Industrial workers were southern europeans eastern europeans you know they were jewish they were polish you know italian and greek they looked down on them you know it was they treated them in a in a racist fashion okay that's first second and in doing so they didn't believe that those very workers who were clamoring to be inside of labor could really sustain labor unionism now fortunately fortunately there were certain labor leaders who would not buy that image of their own people in part. So John Lewis of the mine workers, Sidney Hillman of the amalgamated clothing workers, and David Dubinsky of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, along with selected other unions, they began a movement inside of the AFL to make sure that these, that these workers would be brought in. But unfortunately, they were brought in, as what they called federal unions. They were not given full status. And okay. in the course of the next few years, the CIO was organized and was, I can't remember, because it's always, depending on who you talk to, either quit the AFL or was thrown out of the AFL. Okay? And there's a famous moment in which, I believe it was Lewis or somebody turns around and literally decks in a meeting, one of the trades unionists. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, think about it today. If the AFL CIO, by the way, union leaders are always concerned about what it's called, um, well, basically it's like my territory versus your territory. Okay. So that if these unions are organizing from the bottom up, these brand new independent unions like the Amazon Workers Union, the workers in the coffee shops, some are being organized by existing unions, but some of them are independent efforts. And the folks inside the FLCO don't know how to respond. Where do we put them? Well, whose territory is it? You're going to tell me that this guy is going to have a seat at the table alongside of us? I can assure you that is happening at the afl cio so what i'm saying is it's like you know max lerner this great writer once said you know like the great tragedy is we waste history we waste history we don't we don't learn how to transcend the crisis we're in because we waste the past
0: Harvey, as you know, the famous expression, those who don't learn from history are doomed to watch the History Channel. Uh, let, <laughs> let, me, let me quote FDR to oh, you yeah, again, because right. one of my favorite quotes of Roosevelt was in uh, 1933, the year he took office. He said, no business, which depends for existence on paying less mm-hmm. than living wages, has any right to continue In this country, I did a debate on the channel News Nation the other night uh, about tipping. And I was talking about the fact that we are raised in this society to take for granted that we, the people, the consumers, are going to have to tip employees because we, the people, are raised to understand that their bosses are not going to pay them a living wage. Now, yeah, uh, I right. love the FDR quote, and I think the Joe Biden comparisons to FDR, are they were never fair. Biden never had close to FDR's majorities in Congress. But as someone who has written so extensively about the New Deal, what are your thoughts on at least the direction they're shooting for?
2: Okay, let me put it this way. I, I've written actually a number of times I've been interviewed about this. I had tremendous hope when the american rescue plan was enacted i i yeah. thought th- this is going to be this i thought thank god they're going to prove my skepticism wrong they're going to show us that we can have a new new deal okay but the, the most telling thing as long as you brought up the question of the minimum wage is the fact that the democrats could not get eight of their own members of the senate caucus to support raising the minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour and the tragedy there was i mean joe biden was the senator forever from delaware that's right both delaware senators opposed it (laughs) not to mention by the way these weren't these were not like you know from out west senators it was like two from delaware two from new hampshire these folks opposed it i'm sure bernie was saying to himself at the time yeah, gotta be kidding me! What what is going on here, Joe? Why don't you talk to to Coons, Senator Coons? Why don't you get him to vote yes? He could surely bring in the others. So anyhow, that raised not more; it raised more than skepticism. I was outraged. I couldn't. I thought it augured terrible stuff for the future, and I wasn't wrong. At least, look, the first year of that presidency after that initial ARU was yeah. an embarrassment for the Democrats. I mean, truly an embarrassment. And by the way, if we went. Bill by bill that has now become, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act. We we could talk about.
0: I call it limp back. I I call it limp back later. But uh, yeah, Ira is catchy as well.
2: (laughs) Yes. But but here's the thing. But I look, it doesn't help if I just criticize. So let me offer you an idea. Please. the Democrats are are right now. It's too late to legislate to win. These things are not themselves going to win in November. The Republicans are doing a hell of a look. The Republicans are the the neo-fascists, Okay, are doing their best (laughs) to alienate. They're doing their best to alienate Americans. And it and it appears right now that with the with the legislation that has passed and especially the utterly obnoxious behavior. And obnoxious, even the utterly vile and disgusting and horrific behavior of the Republicans and their leadership, and their star champion—you know what's his name—the redheaded guy, or the so-called—you know, the orange guy. You know. Oh, yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, the right. Former
2: former star of Celebrity Apprentice. Yes. Right. Exactly. I mean, most Americans are, are thinking again. I think right. Not. I said most, not all. Obviously, are thinking again. But here's the case: you want to drive home the point, right? So if I were the Democrats, I would focus on three things and I would run all my ads this way. I would come out and say, these folks have declared war and have been winning the war on women's rights, on the rights of voters, especially people of color, and on the rights of workers in all their diversity. They want they want to make the nation a right to work nation, not merely selected states. They have literally created a Supreme Court that will it will take years for us to overcome and taken away a woman's right to choose. And yep. we all know what's been going on in terms of trying to suppress the vote by literally empowering the most itch. I mean, here in Wisconsin, we have a guy running for for governor against our incumbent Democrat, who's literally our last bastion of to, to avoid the you know a nightmare of Republican rule. This guy, Michaels, is a Trumpster, OK, yeah. who. He's ready to sell a AR 50. Is that what they call the AR 15s to teenagers? I mean, (laughs) look, they should just go all out nationally. Every dollar. Repeat what the Republicans have been doing and the imperative of bringing more Democratic senators in because we're going to put we get this and we're going to do everything, everything possible to pass them, including and let him say it and let let Manchin go crazy. We're going to literally lift the filibuster on key
0: things. I'd love to see it, but, you know, I mean, I would have loved a a deal in the infrastructure bill that would have required any company getting federal dollars to pursue infrastructure to allow union organization and collective bargaining rights. You know, I kind of feel like if you're taking money for the infrastructure uh, uh, package, then you have to be a corporation dedicated to advancing the rights of the American worker would have been a really simple and I think popular thing. They could have slipped in there or an executive order.
2: Seventy percent of Americans right now is the highest percentage in decades now back the idea of workers in labor unions. Seventy percent. I mean, almost as popular as abortion. Yeah, Right. And if we consider Kansas, the bill, you know, the you know, the, the test. No, in fact, if you go back into the 30s and 40s when unions were riding high and and literally millions of workers wanted in, I'll bet the support for labor unions was not much higher than it is now
0: we got to hit a break. We'll be right back. This is Progress.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
0: And welcome back. You know, I want to ask you, Professor, in 2017, the first year of the Trump uh, administration, uh, the one and only Trump administration, you wrote a, a brilliant piece, I remember, called Who Says It Can't Happen Here? Oh, and in this yeah. piece, you address the, you know, what was what, what you called out as creeping authoritarianism in the U.S., and you warned in the first year yeah. that this would destroy our democracy if we weren't vigilant. Professor, we were not vigilant, and now we are living through the consequences. After a summer that began with the January sixth terrorism attack on our Capitol hearings, that peaked in early August with a warrant on the home of a president of the united states i'm I'm terrified to see how the summer ends but what must be done now because we weren't vigilant enough for this creeping authoritarianism
2: well this is a longer answer than you probably want but to connect labor and politics for a moment For a start, we've got to start using a language because the Republicans have been have been great at laying claim to history and to contemporary rhetoric. We've got to start using a language that the New Dealers used when they talked about. And by the way, not for the sake of the workers themselves. They know what they need and they know what they want, and they'll try to pursue it. But for the sake of those who have any doubts about it, we've got to start remembering that the term for organizing and collective bargaining was industrial democracy. Uh and when you go when after the rights of workers you were literally cutting off a whole dimension of american democratic life so i think that you know it's time for the democrats to say got to make america safe for democracy i mean this is the this is what i'm talking about so that's for starters it's also the case and i and i you know there are labor leaders right now who deserve literally our admiration and support. I think first and foremost, Sean O'Brien of the Teamsters and Sarah mm-hmm. Nelson of the airline flight attendants. And w- and I will confess, Sarah and I are friends, so I'm, I'm promoting a friend, okay? She's dynamite. Um, yeah, and, and so, you know, it, it is the case. I mean, even as we speak, as I think I said at the outset, you know, Starbucks is closing shops right now. There has to be, people have to turn out Let there be protests, people who like to drink coffee, literally to turn out in mass at those occasions. Let the media be unable to ignore this. Let workers know how you support them. Let them be encouraged to take action and also let politicians know that if they don't act in support of workers, then they're not going to get your votes. I mean, it's it. There, there has to be warnings. There have to be that we've got to be more aggressive. Whether we're in a union, look, I, I'm a member retired of the American Federation of Teachers. I've been a member of other unions in the past. It is essential for everyday citizens who are not necessarily in a position to join a union to show their support for these folks, but yes. not simply for them, for ourselves. The only way you save democracy, I said it to you before, indeed, is by reviving the labor movement, the strongest source of democratic energy has come out of the labor movement. And let's not, look, there's been a history of labor racism in the past, segregation, all that. We are decades beyond that. Look at who are in these unions that are organizing at Starbucks, at Amazon and elsewhere. These are multiracial unions. These are not all white enterprises or all simply all you know, black or all Latino. These are multiracial. They are the future of America. And if you don't like the way that looks, you ain't an American.
0: <laughs> Professor Harvey Kay, it is always a great pleasure and an honor to have you join us. And I'm so pleased you were able to be here for our Labor Day special. What is the best way, sir, for our listeners to keep up with you and your work?
2: OK, simply straightforward on Twitter, Harvey, H-A-R-V-E-Y, J-K-A-Y with an E at the end. John, I want to thank you for having me on. I relish our friendship and every one of our conversations.
0: Thank you, sir. We'll we'll see you back again a couple times before this midterm. It's going to be a crazy election season, and uh, I will be turning to you for uh, for wisdom and outrage where needed. Thank you very much, Artie. Thank you. Okay. okay. Quick break. We'll be
1: right back. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
0: Over the last several decades, union membership in the U.S. has, of course, declined steadily. In 1983, there were still around 17.7 million union members in America. But by 2019, it was down to below 15 million, and unions lost another 3 million-plus members. During the pandemic, uh, wage and salary workers who were members of unions was 10.8% across all industries. So this Labor Day, I think it's important to remember the uh, famous quote uh, by Karl Marx, labor is the superior of capital and deserves much the higher consideration. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. That's not Karl Marx. That's Did I say Karl I meant Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said labor is the superior of capital and deserves much the higher consideration. Um, he said that during his full first address to Congress, December 3rd, 1861. And boy, oh boy, I'm glad I have a real historian in the queue to help make sense of this. Kenneth C. Davis, for 30 years, has proven that Americans don't hate history. They just don't like the boring stuff they were Forced to learn in school. He is the best-selling author of Don't Know Much About History and other books in the Don't Know Much About series. He's written one of the uh, best books about slavery, The Shadow of Liberty, More Deadly Than War, perfectly, perfectly presaged the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, his most recent book, Strongman, The Rise of Five Dictators and the Fall of Democracy is perpetually timely. It is a great pleasure to welcome Kenneth C. Davis back to the show.
3: It is a great pleasure to be with you, John. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about this history, and I'm so glad you started off with the Karl Marx quote. Oh no, that <laughs> is Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it's of course, one of no, my favorites. So, no self-respecting public Republican today would remotely say such a thing. Of course, but um, Abraham Lincoln would have said a lot of things that most self-respecting. Republicans, I don't know, are Republicans self-respecting these days, that's a different uh, perhaps philosophical question. But this is an appropriate uh, year, uh, I suppose, to be talking about Labor Day because it is, and I'm the kind of historian who knows this stuff, the 140th anniversary of Labor Day in 18, uh, in 2022, I'm sorry. Uh, It started unofficially in New York City appropriately mm-hmm. at Union Square in September of 1882, 140 years ago. And here we are 140 years later, uh, most of us thinking that Labor Day is, has nothing to do with work. It's a three-day weekend uh, I know. Take the last picnic and uh, get ready to go back to school, buy the back-to-school clothes, get ready to go back to the office. Maybe uh, we're still sorting all those questions out.
0: Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Ken, I may have mentioned this to you. I went to the New York City Labor Day Parade, and I was amazed to be at a parade with so little media coverage. No helicopters, no news crews, uh, said a lot about how our culture and our media value the very concept of organized labor. But that first American Labor Day Parade in New York uh, in September of 1882, that was organized by unions, wasn't it? And, and my understanding is that it they actually had a list of uh, demands. And part of the whole message was an end to child labor. That's absolutely
3: correct. And it's really important to when we talk about Labor Day and labor history to talk about what labor meant in the mid to late 19th century uh, when labor unions were trying to organize and usually being uh, fought back uh, with the full strength of not only business power, but the strength of the federal government and very often state and local governments as well. Uh, This was another civil war is the way I have described it in the past and talking about this period. So in 1882, what did it mean to be a worker? Well, it certainly meant that you worked six day weeks. Uh, Days were easily 12 hours. Uh, There was no five hour of no eight hour day, no five day work week, no weekends, no paid holidays, no six day, except except for Christmas and Thanksgiving, perhaps. Um, This was what it was like to work in America. Uh, The work was often dirty, dangerous. There was no uninsurance, of course, there was no health Mm -hmm. insurance. There were no fringe benefits. None of the things that we think about as relatively normal parts of the benefits that we get when we take a job were available to most American workers at the time.
0: You're Uh, saying there weren't OSHA rules weren't posted in the commissaries of all workplaces a hundred years ago in the United States.
3: There were no OSHA rules. And of course there was no OSHA. There was no, uh, there was no, uh, there was no minimum wage because uh, that didn't come along until the 1930s. Um, And when it did come along, it was 25 cents an hour for federal workers. It didn't really apply to union workers, although it eventually did. So the picture that I'm trying to give you is of a very, very difficult time. And as I said, any attempts at organizing uh, collect- to collectively bargain, which is what unions are formed to do, to bargain for all of the workers. So it's not up to me going up to the boss and say, boss, can I have, uh, you know, five more bucks this week? Uh, the union was going to do that through collective bargaining. Very important fundamental concept uh, in American uh, labor and business. The idea that unions were forming was really fought back hard and I'm talking about pitched battles when I say a civil war was going on there were ugly brutal violent strikes that were put down with violence sometimes by the federal government the most famous of which uh one of the most famous of which was the Pullman car company strike which happened in uh 18 uh, 93. The Pullman Car Company was the biggest company of its day. It was the General Motors. It was the Amazon, mm-hmm. the Apple of its day. Uh, it made railroad cars. And uh, people who worked for the Pullman Car Company actually lived in a place called Pullman. They, it was a company town. You lived, you were born, you lived, and you may have died there. Uh, They provided your housing and you were uh, a a member of the Pullman uh, family. Well, the Pullman workers went on strike in 1893 when they where there was a Great Depression of its own period. uh, And Pullman started just lay people off and throw them out of these houses that they had been providing them. Uh, So eventually the uh, uh, workers at Pullman went on strike. And President at the time, Grover Cleveland, dispatch batched twelve thousand federal troops on the premise that the railroads delivered the U.S. mail, and so the the strike was an uh, uh, an attempt to shut down the mail and to keep the mail going. He was going to stop the strike. Um, twelve thousand federal troops went in to break the strike. Thirteen strikers were killed in that particular uh, uh, episode. That was one of many instances of violence against workers at the time. So I, when I say that there was a, a civil war going on, I don't use that that phrase lightly, uh, obviously not on the massive scale of the American Civil War, where right. uh, hundreds of thousands of people died. But this was Americans fighting Americans over a very fundamental right. Um, it was the following year then that Rover Cleveland uh, Attempting to throw a bone sort of to the labor movement. <laughs> I was <Actually>, going to say. <laughs> he proclaimed the first Labor Day as a holiday and set it on the first Monday in September, where it is today. Uh, and that was a recognition in part of that first organized labor, organized uh, uh, Labor Day in Union Square in 1882 in New York City. Um, so this was a, a really Dangerous, divisive, violent time in American history, and you know I've been listening to so many people talk about the current atmosphere in the country as dangerous as it is, and I'm certainly uh, someone who speaks to that frequently. Um, and they sort of say, "Of uh, we've, you know, we've never really had anything like this," and to me, that's actually a kind of misreading of american history because it's often been like this for many groups in american society particularly minorities mm-hmm. uh, black americans would probably tell you it's been like this a, a, a long long time where we've been fighting uh, against the powers that be and certainly the union the union movement the labor movement in the late 19th century was up against the same kind of divisive dangerous Uh, forces, but they had the they were facing the full power of not only the businesses they were confronting, but the federal government and often state and local governments as well. So I just want to throw that in there when people talk about, oh, you know, the the country never had a moment like this. We've had many moments like this. Uh, Fortunately, for the most part, we've pulled through them, often at great cost in blood, sweat and tears. But I don't want to take that very um, uh, kind of rosy-eyed view of the past that the good old days um, used to be so so great. The good, the good old days were often terrible.
0: Absolutely. And by the way, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm always fond of discussing with you one of my favorite topics, which is that current events aren't current most of the time. Uh, but in a few minutes, I want to play a little game with you about being unprecedented. I think – The most unprecedented thing about this era is our unprecedented abuse of the word unprecedented. So, Ken, in a a couple of minutes, I want to throw a few headlines by you just from the last month and see if there's anything in history that we can tether the present to. Because even for me, it seems like, oh, my God, this has never happened before. It's become my daily mantra. we got to hit a break. This is progress. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their 7-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's p-h-i-l-o dot tv slash p-o-p-p-o-d-s to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: We are back. I did want to ask you another question about the history of labor. I mean, I, I understand... How the upheaval was inherent in this shift, moving from farms and individual acreages to factories in the industrial age. This led to a very violent, decades-long struggle for fundamental workers' rights, which we've witnessed the dismantling of. For the last, say, 40 years. But I, I just want to say, is it? I, I often wonder about child labor. Is it fair to say that child labor was banned? Sometimes I feel more like child labor was just outsourced. <laughs> but um, I, I'd like to ask about how the end of child labor as we knew it in this country came about, and what Americans should know about what, that peculiar institution, because I think it's really been forgotten.
3: You're absolutely right, John. I'm so glad you asked about that, because as I was talking about what it was like to be a worker in those days, I was you know, really talking about to be an adult worker. But in fact, child labor was commonplace and practiced around the country uh, during the late 19th century before compulsory school became widely uh, accepted. You know, that was, as you mentioned, the country was moving from an agrarian base where kids were born and they worked on the farm to kids being then taken out to work in the factories and mines, Mm -hmm. uh, often doing the most dirty and dangerous work. Uh, There was no state in the Union that forbid child labor in the 19th century. Slowly at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, they they uh, some states began to outlaw uh, child labor. But if you go back and it's it's really worth a look sometime, it's a wonderful uh, uh, teaching experience, learning experience to go back and look at the photographs that a, a guy named Lewis Hine took, uh, which you can see at the Library of Congress or here at the New York Public Library. Uh, he documented child labor around the country. Uh, at the turn of the century, in the the twentieth century, and you see uh, boys in in mines, you see young girls in factories. Uh, uh, loom uh, loom factories you know uh, thread factories very often the children would be assigned to if the machines broke down to go inside because they were small they can get inside same, oh, same, same thing same yeah. coal mines they were assigned to uh, work in the smallest spaces in the coal mines because they could fit uh, so this is a a terrible piece of our image of America. Erased uh, very much by this again, this idea that uh, that America was once this um, seamless, perfect place. So go back some time and look at the uh, the pictures that Lewis Hine took of children working in America uh, at the turn of the century. It's it's a uh, it's a shockingly revealing picture of the past. And that was certainly one of the things that was on the list of demands that labor unions were talking about as early as 1882, when they organized the first Labor Day parade, they wanted an end to child labor. It did not come on the federal level until 1938. Uh, Think about that for a minute, that child labor in this country was only outlawed in 1938. 38, uh, when it came under the Fair Labor Standards Act, which was passed, of course, during the Great Depression under Franklin D. Roosevelt, uh, along with a minimum wage and a five-day work week and an eight-hour day, uh, the standard that we all come to accept, although a lot of people today would say, <laughs> I'd give anything to have a uh, an eight-hour day and a five-day week because uh, exactly. Technology has changed the way we work so much that people are expected basically to work 24-7.
0: Let me ask you as an historian, do you think in the 21st century, organized labor would have the power to end something like child labor? Let's say that was still a practice. Hypothetically, would the American working movement actually have the organizational heft and unity to bring any influence to bear on legislators?
3: Uh right now i would say uh slim to none um some of the unions in this country are still very powerful and can still uh organize and motivate their members to to vote and campaign and get behind uh, certain movements but um there are As you noted at the beginning of this segment, their numbers are way off. Uh, Of course, the largest union, I believe still the largest union, is the uh, teachers union. And most uh, organized labor today is really more unions of federal workers than private workers. Um, We understand that. So the postal workers uh, are are our union and the uh, federal teachers. uh, Well, that's a a federal employee, but it's a federal union. it's a national union of teachers, the United Federation of Teachers and the American Federation of Teachers, Um, they can still bring enormous power to bear on issues. Uh, They do not have the power they once had in this country. When you go back and look at the 50s and 60s, when uh, the endorsement of uh, the head of the AFL-CIO was a very highly prized, endorsement from a politician because it meant that their uh, union members were going to go out and vote that way. So, no, I don't think so. On the other hand, uh, there are some really encouraging signs uh, because this downward path of unionization and organizing has been so pronounced for so so long in this country. And it's been well funded. By business interests that want to see the end of unions, both private and public unions, certainly one of the great assaults on public education right now is the desire by many on the right to get rid of teachers unions. That's right. Um, and so um, that's that's one of the fights that we're having right now. And it's carrying over into the all of the other issues that are going on around education. You can't separate these things out from each other. The question about banning books and which history we teach and teachers being told that they must attend uh, what are essentially indoctrination sessions in mm-hmm. um, states that shall go unnamed. Uh, <laughs> but um The the flip side of that is we've seen some really encouraging, interesting developments in what I would call very grassroots union organizing, um, especially at places like a very well known coffee chain and a very Uh large online retailer, uh, which I won't name either of them. But they uh, they have been uh, they have been unionizing on a small scale in local uh, areas around the country and uh, have had remarkable success. Just last week, in fact, um, the um, uh, the federal (laughs) court uh, Mm -hmm. actually reinforced that so-called coffee chain to rehire workers that had been fired because of their unionizing activities. So there is, first of all, I would say a grassroots movement in favor of organizing, and you also have a president and a Congress that are much more union-friendly right now than most administrations have been. Certainly, over a good part of the last forty years.
0: Very true, and we will not say the names of those online retailer or coffee place. They rhyme with Amazon and Arbucks. Okay, uh, uh, Kenneth. I want to play a game with you now. This is called unprecedented, or is it? I will give you actual headlines of things that are really happening right now, and you as an historian have to tell me, is this as unprecedented as my media keeps telling me? Okay, are you ready? You're playing for the lovely lounge suite. Okay, number one, two men have just been convicted in a plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. How unprecedented is that?
3: Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is that in 1865, there was a plot to kidnap the vice president, the secretary of war, uh, and a few other members of the cabinet. And it ended up uh, failing miserably with the exception that uh, the the ringleader of the plot was able to assassinate the president, Abraham Lincoln. That was uh, John Wilkes Booth. Assassination of Lincoln was part of a much larger plot to uh, kidnap or assassinate other members of the Lincoln cabinet at the time. So that's right. no, not, not unprecedented at not all. Not unprecedented and, either. <laughs> much larger scale.
0: Okay, here's another one. Uh, a sitting member of Congress is driven out of her caucus and driven out of Congress because of criticisms of the president from the same party. Have we ever seen a politician essentially driven from office, driven from Congress, because they criticized the corruption of the leader of their party? I'm not. Uh, aware I can't find anything. Of, I I've,
3: the first one was easy. This this is a much tougher one. There have certainly been Congress people not driven out because they criticized their own leader, but Congress people who have suffered because they went against the party and i think the most famous example that comes to mind in a a sense is uh interestingly it relates back to the post-civil war era uh lincoln's successor andrew johnson was impeached and he he averted being removed from office because the senate vote was uh was too close and one senator i believe his name was edmund ross but i i might be stretching there one senator who was expected to vote to remove uh, Andrew Johnson uh, voted to exonerate him. And that was the end of his political career. Um, He's actually one of the people who's mentioned in John F. Kennedy's very famous book, Profiles in Courage. That's Uh, right. And there probably are a couple of other examples like that. Um, There have certainly been, I think, politicians who have gone against the party line and have suffered for it. But right. not in a way quite remotely like what we've seen with the uh shunning and exiling of uh Lynn Cheney in particular and the other
0: uh ten House uh members who voted impeachment in particular. Just just incredible. I couldn't find anything anything resembling this. And and finally, my favorite, you can probably guess, is there any precedent, sir, for a um a legal FBI Uh, search warrant executed on the home of a former chief executive. Not a raid, not a break-in. There was probable cause and a judge said, yes, you can have a warrant. I I thought of you right away, Ken, because I thought, finally, this is something that truly has no precedent I can think of in American history.
3: No president's home certainly has ever been uh, searched legally with a warrant uh, as uh, the former president's uh, home if that's what it is, uh, was searched. I, I don't know if you call a beach resort his home. I guess it is. Um,
0: no, but it's, where uh, it's his legal residence. So you know,
3: there are there are precedents though of presidents trying to withhold things or claiming that things are theirs, uh, which really created the act for which this uh, this search was was that's uh, carried true. out. The espionage act and i'm speaking of course of richard m nixon who uh uh, also attempted to say that their papers that were from the oval office were his papers and his alone and if the president does it then it's not illegal uh that was uh that's the precedent that uh the former president uh still thinks is is his actual uh a- an actual legal defense of course it is not uh so uh nixon certainly tried something similar and because of that the espionage act was passed and it was under that espionage act that the F- fbi was able to obtain this warrant and uh search the former president's um home and we'll see Uh this is you know of course spinning out even as we're we're talking about this, and um, I have no idea where this is going, John.
0: <laughs> and on that note, I can't think of a better place to end it. It stumped me as well. The great Kenneth C. Davis is the author of Don't Know Much About History and all the Don't Know Much books. Also, do yourself a favor for your fall reading list. If you haven't read Strongman, if you haven't read More Deadly Than War, do your brain a favor and pick them up. Mr. Davis, what is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and your doings?
3: Uh, You can find me at my website, don'tknowmuch.com, where I'm usually posting things about what's going on in the news and how it relates to history. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter at Kenneth C. Davis, at Kenneth C. Davis, and um, uh, similar there. I I won't tell you what I had for lunch, but I will tell you uh, something interesting that might have happened in history that day and what we should be paying attention to, and the most important of which, since it's, Labor Day. Labor Day used to be, it doesn't apply anymore. Labor Day used to be traditionally thought of as the kickoff to election season. So it's just a reminder that um, we are entering uh, the last two months before the election, and it is going to be no question a very consequential one. So I urge you to um, make your voice heard Uh, If you can't vote for any reason, you can still make your voice heard, but make sure you do uh, register and vote. Uh, And uh, this is uh, a fretful, fearful moment for our democracy. And the best way to protect it is to make sure you make your voice heard on Election Day.
0: Kennedy Davis it is a great pleasure to have you i hope we have you back again before election day happy labor day thank you john it's always great to talk to you and thank you for all the work you do this is progress